Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word once again to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are going to once again uh, look at this section um, from verses 13 through 19. Uh, we've spent a few weeks here because these are, these are just fundamental uh, truths that Peter is unfolding for us. We've looked at some things generally uh, or more broadly, um, and today, once again, we will do that, and then Lord willing, um, take these and, and streamline them into some particulars next Lord's Day. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Sojourners of the New Exodus and Greater Passover. Sojourners of the New Exodus and the Greater Passover. Keep in mind what we read moments ago from Exodus 12, because Peter is borrowing the language as well as the imagery of Exodus 12 in helping us understand our new identity in Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." Let's pray. Oh, oh, Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see Christ. Open our ears to hear Christ. Open our hearts to receive him afresh. Take these words, Lord, and the story that they are unfolding. And help us to find our lives within it, formed by it, defined by it, so that we might give ourselves to it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Sojourners of the New Exodus in the great, the greater Passover. This is a word image, uh, hopefully, that is more than just words on a page, more than just, oh, okay, I understand what they mean and the doctrines behind them, but hopefully this has created an image for you, a picture for you, because that is what Peter is, has been doing and he will continue to do in this letter as he is instructed or he is instructing us that we are the elect exiles who are on a journey. 
And what Peter is calling us to do is to spend mental energy in embracing the new definition of how God defines us and to let go of all of the old definitions that we have received passively, actively, and have shaped ourselves accordingly. He is calling us to let go of the way we have defined ourselves, the way the, that our uh, communities have defined us, the way that our citizenship in America has defined us. He is calling us to let go of every one of those definitions and embrace his definition of us. I have chosen, as I said last week, to kind of set up camp here within, in, within this, this passage of Scripture because of what we find ourselves facing right now with the pandemic and have been encouraging you not to waste the opportunity that God has put before us with this pandemic. That opportunity that has presented us in this pandemic is that normal life has been taken away. And we are all feeling the acute pressures and uncertainties of, well, then what does, it look, what does it mean for us? If the normal is gone and we haven't even arrived to the new normal, by the way, I'm really getting tired of that phrase. If we haven't even gotten there, it makes us feel like we're left bobbing in the ocean with one wave after the next hitting us and, and bouncing us around and we feel like we are unfettered. We feel like there is nothing that, is, that has us anchored because of the normal things by which we have understood our lives do not exist in the same way right now. The reason that I think this is so important for us as an opportunity can be summed up really well by words of C.S. Lewis that he said back in the autumn of 1939. In September of 1939, Great Britain had declared war on Germany, and this was the beginning of World War II. And so in the fall of 1939, there at Oxford, there were questions among the students of, well, there's a war. So why would we waste our time going back to school? Why would we waste our time reading and studying Greek literature? Why would we waste our time on, on these things that seem to be so trivial right now because of this immense thing that is happening within our society, there is this great war that is beginning to unfold. There is this great enemy. And many of us as students may not even be able to finish. We may start in a, in a year from now or two years or three years from now, we may be called into service. And I may go you know, into the war and I may die there.
What they were feeling was that acute awareness that what they, seen, what they thought was normal, that it was no longer normal. What they were feeling was the pressure of, my life may be shorter. I may die. And so why would I give myself to trivial things right now? Lewis responds, For this reason, I think it important to try to see the present calamity in terms of World War II in a true perspective. The war creates no absolutely new situation. There is nothing new because of the war, he says. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. We are mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. Now, if you take that same quote and just take out the word war and insert the word pandemic, it is a very important perspective for us. What this pandemic has revealed is nothing new. We as believers in the scripture understand that we live in a fallen world. We understand that since the fall of Adam and Eve, that this world has been plunged into sin and suffering. We understand that because of our first parents and their sin, that every single person that is born by way of ordinary generation, as the Shorter Catechism says, is born with the expectation that you will die. And the reality for every single person, Lewis says at a different place in, in, this, in this sermon, is that every one of us are either moving towards heaven or moving towards hell. The war doesn't change that. And in comparison to the infinite, eternal realities of heaven and hell, the war actually pales in comparison. What he's doing is not minimizing the war. He is not minimizing the suffering that's going to come. He's not minimizing the fear. He was one who fought in World War I. He experienced war in Europe. He lived life in the trenches, and he, he writes about it, and he writes about how awful it was. He is not writing as someone with a perspective of pie in the sky. He is writing as someone who knows what war looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like. And yet, what he is trying to do is set even something as serious as war into its proper perspective in relationship to eternity. You and I, beloved, as Christians, we are called to view every single thing that we experience from the perspective of eternity and not from the perspective 
of the temporal acute awareness of something like war or a pandemic. Peter is writing to Christians who find themselves living in a hostile world to their faith. They find themselves living at a a point uh, in redemptive history that is exciting and yet at a point geographically that is very difficult. They are suffering. They are struggling. They are experiencing affliction and not because of sin but because of salvation. Because they have become uh, the elect exiles, part of, of God's new family, they are experiencing what the head of their family experienced. Jesus Christ was very clear with the disciples. This world hated me. They're going to hate you. That's the reality. But that experience is what is temporal. The eternal reality on the other side of that is the fullness of the glory of the smile of the Heavenly Father. And so Peter writing to people who are experiencing affliction because of their faith, he writes to help them set their current circumstances in their proper eternal perspective so that they can live faithfully as God's people through the difficulties, through the trials, and through the tribulation. Peter is written to God's people for a time like this for us. We live, as I have said several times, we are living at a time, even here in the South, where things are moving in a post-Christian direction culturally and politically. My privilege is to get you ready for that because most of us are not ready. We have experienced tremendous blessings. And as awesome as that blessing is, sometimes it can make you soft. We need to be hardened up. We need to get ready to experience what the overwhelming majority of the church has experienced for millennia. Our experience of of blessing, acceptance, being part of the power circles, being part of those who are setting policy and all these different things that Christians have experienced here within America for the last few hundred years, that is the anomaly. And the anomaly is passing away. We are about to enter more and more and more into what is normal. And so, whether the, 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 the um, trial for us is this movement towards a po- you know, trying to be faithful in a post-Christian society, or if the trial before us is how do we respond to the pandemic, what we need are the words of Peter. 
to be reminded that we are elect exiles who are called to embrace and embody the hope of Jesus Christ in a hostile world. That's what it means to be a part of his people. And so he begins this letter unfolding some very weighty and heavy realities that we are these elect exiles of God. That no matter where we live, we are to consider ourselves exiles in that place. It's not just missionaries who go off into foreign countries and face the challenges of how do I be faithful as a Christian in this new environment, in this different culture. It's not only they who have to wrestle with these things. Peter is saying we have to wrestle with this because God's people, no matter where we reside, we are exiles. And we have to prepare our minds to embrace that. But as elect exiles, we are those born again to a living hope. And as we wait for the fullness of our hope to be revealed, our faith will experience trial and test. But this is a good thing. Because what trial and test do is they purify. And what they also do is they help to get our minds and our hearts off the distractions of this world so that we can more purposefully and consciously set our hope on the grace that is to be revealed to us when Christ returns. Beloved, what we have to look forward to is what Jesus Christ is experiencing in fullness right now. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and when our sin was imputed to him, he died a sinner's death. Not because he sinned, but because our sins were put on him. And so when he was raised from the grave, that was his father's open acknowledgement that you died for sins that aren't yours. Jesus' resurrection, beloved, as I said back on Easter, was his vindication from the Father. It was the Father raising him up and putting before him before all of history and all of the spiritual realms and saying, this is my righteous son. And I love him. Beloved, when Christ returns, what the hope that we have is that we will participate in the Father's open acknowledgement of his Son as we experience his open acknowledgement as his sons and daughters in Christ. But that future reality is already something present for us. It's just not present in its fullness. So what Peter does here is he lays out this amazing reality that Jesus Christ, when he was raised from the dead, he, began, he became the first of a new reconstituted humanity. And every one of you who experience resurrection in him have been made a part of this new humanity. You are part of this new family. 
We have, as I said last week, an identity-driven faith. And generally, as we talked about last week, what this means is that the pattern for us as God's people is to embrace by faith what God, uh, who God is, and what God has done for us, and what that means for who we now are in him. And only after that do we try to respond to those realities with faith and with devotion and with holiness. There is a pattern. In theology, we call it the indicative and the imperative. The indicative, here's who God is, here's what God has done, here's who you now are. The imperatives, therefore, be holy as I am holy. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. Therefore, do not kill. Therefore, honor your father and mother. We can keep going. Therefore, do not see yourselves in light of the citizenship of your present socio-political situation. Understand your citizenship from the perspective of the heavenly places. Now, to help us embrace this new identity, Peter doesn't just hammer us with details. Instead, he sets for us a picture. And the picture begins in verse 13 when he says, Gird up the loins of your minds for action. In the Greek, he is borrowing the language of the Greek that we read back in Exodus 12, when God is, has come to his people, the, the last plague is about to come on Egypt, and God is saying, I'm going to save you from this plague. I will save you from myself. And here's how you do it. You take the lamb, you shed the blood, you mark the, the doorposts, and you're going to eat it. And you're going to eat it with these herbs, you're going to eat it with unleavened bread, there's going to be this whole ceremony that you go through as a celebration and as an embracement of my grace in what I am going to do for you and passing over you. And this, beloved, is going to be the beginning of you leaving Egypt and traveling to the promised land that I promised to your forefathers, okay? That's the picture in Exodus 12. In fact, today I would encourage you, read Exodus 12 through 15 and look at what is unfolding there as God from the Passover uh, and uses that to lead his people in the beginning of their journey on the way out. Now, why is this important? Because he tells them, here's how you eat the meal. You tuck the edges of your robe into your belt and you have your staff and you eat it as one who is ready to depart. You eat it as one who is ready to travel. That language of taking the edges of the robe, pulling them up 
and tucking them into the robe was a way uh, for them to get themselves ready for action. It was a way for them to, to get ready to be able to do something so, they, so that they weren't tripping over their robes. What Peter tells us here in verse 13 is, I want you to do that with your minds. Because the exodus that we are, about, are a part of in Christ is not a physical exodus like the people of Israel experienced in physically leaving Egypt. Our exodus, beloved, is a spiritual exodus where we leave behind the former realities of who we were prior to being in Christ and learn to embrace more and more and more who we are in Christ. It is leaving behind more and more that earthly citizenship to embrace a spiritual citizenship. And so he says, using that imagery, prepare your minds for this action and set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed. Because of the present possession of the future, even now, Allow this to direct you to seeing yourself as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, and that your Christian life from beginning to end is marked by pilgrimage. Now, what does that mean? Well, one thing that means is that we are to live in such a way that we are avoiding the temptations and distractions of this life. And by that, I don't mean that you avoid sin. Obviously, you avoid sin. You're, or at least you try. I try most of the time. Right? Yes, you're called to avoid sin. But more importantly, what you're called to here is to avoid the temptation of wanting to make the wilderness your permanent residence. How many times as we read the story of Israel after they had left, after they had left Egypt, how many times do we see some crying out to go back to Egypt? Beloved, you and I or to avoid that temptation of wanting to go back to defining ourselves by our earthly citizenship. There were temptations in the wilderness to just set up camp there, and we'll just try to turn this into the promised land. And beloved, you and I are called as the people of God who are sojourners of this new exodus, we are called to avoid the temptation of wanting to set up camp within this world and try to turn this into the promises of God. Our earthly citizenship is not final. Because our earthly citizenship, even here in the United States, 
is part of a kingdom that is passing away. The United States will not last forever. It is part of that system of the world that has fallen, that is broken, and will not make it through the fire. And so we want to avoid the temptation of defining ourselves by these earthly, temporal things. And one of the best ways for you to do that, beloved, is not by simply trying to embrace the correct doctrine, but to allow the narrative of Scripture to shape and form the way you embrace doctrine. Every day, wake up and remind yourself, I am a sojourner. And as you go through your day, as you are conscious of certain temptations, look, you're not going to be conscious of all your temptations. But as you are conscious to some of them, my, let, me, let me implore you, try a new technique. Don't just simply say, well, no, I shouldn't want that. Or no, I don't want to do that. Or no, stop that. When you become conscious of that temptation, say to yourself, but I am a pilgrim. I am a citizen of the heavenly places, and I am passing through this worldly situation on my way to the promised land as one who already possesses the realities of that promised land now. And then say, so don't do it. And then say, stop it. <laughs> There are so many things you can say after that place. But so many of us, we start with, stop it. We start with, don't do it. We start with, I shouldn't want it. You know what? Maybe you should want it. Maybe the issue isn't what you want, but the way you're going about getting it. It's not as easy as just simply saying, stop it, don't do it. And so start, when you become consciously aware of that temptation, Start with this image that Peter sets before us, that in my mind and in my heart, I have, I have positioned myself in a way to live consciously in light of who I am in Jesus Christ as a sojourner who is on a new exodus because of the greater Passover of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then embrace your hope so that you can embody that hope to yourself, to your family, to your neighbors, so that the more you embrace hope, the more you can be a picture of that hope for others. Beloved, the pandemic right now has given us the opportunity to have revealed to our own hearts where our, false, our, where our false hopes are lying so that we can embrace in a fresh way our true hope 
that can never fail. You are sojourners. You are on a new exodus. Tuck the robes of your minds into your belt so that you can do the arduous, difficult work of constantly reinforcing to yourself your proper identity in Jesus Christ so that you indeed may be holy as God is holy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your amazing grace to us and the way that your grace is empowering. We praise you for that grace, Lord, as it brings forgiveness, that grace that provides us um, Jesus Christ, that grace that imputes to us his righteousness, but that grace, Lord, that fuels us, that forms us and shapes us from the inside out and from the outside in, that superabounding grace that is so much greater than, than even our sin. And so we need from you, O oh God, we need for, from you these constant reminders because we are forgetful. And when we become forgetful, we will take you for granted. And rather than your blessings leading us into greater devotion, sometimes, Lord, your blessings lead us to become distracted and to want the earthly blessing while forgetting the eternal. And so, Lord, help us not to waste this pandemic. Help us to take it seriously, but not so that we are afraid, but so that we might have the distractions that we give ourselves to so often removed from our vision that we may see more clearly our Lord Jesus Christ. And as in seeing him more clearly, we would love him more dearly and that we would follow him to the ends of the earth, taking up his cross as we wait for the fullness of of your vindication when we will hear not from me but from your voice my judgments against you are taken away and I am so excited that I can reveal myself in the fullness of my glory to you that I can be happy and that I can sing Lord, by faith, help us to hear you singing over us now so that the melody of your song would drown out all the competing melodies of this world that is passing away.
We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.